Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the PR Week. That's PR Week's weekly podcast for everything going on in the worlds of PR and communications. And by my accent, you probably guessed by now that I'm your guest host for this week. I'm Frank Washcook, PR Week's executive editor, and I'm joined by PR Week's associate news editor, Diana Bradley, in our studio here in New York. Diana, thanks for taking part in the podcast this week. Thank you for having me. Yes. And we have a tremendous guest for you this week. It's Doug Thornell. He's the CEO of the Blue Chip Public Affairs and PR shop, SKDK. Doug, welcome to the podcast. It is fantastic to be on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I should say congratulations, since you are one of the honorees on the just released 2023 edition of uh, PR Week's Power List. So uh, what are your impressions of the list this year? Well, it's a big honor and, um, you know, it was a, a real welcome surprise to, to learn about it uh, in the morning. And it's a great list, like a lot of people that I've followed their careers uh, for a long time and uh, a lot of, you know, top top brands, obviously folks that I've worked with in my political career, like Josh Ernest. It's a great list. And, um, you know, I, as I told um, my team that it is really more of a, a reflection of, of their work and their commitment I love coming into work every day and and leading this firm and being able to watch so many talented folks, so many creators, so many storytellers um, really give their heart and soul to their work and to their clients. And, you know, they make me look good and uh, it's an honor to be on it. But really, it's uh, I feel like I'm representing, you know, every single person who's at uh, SKDK on that list. It's well said. And I have to tell you, when I was going back and forth with your team trying to set this podcast up, it was tough to keep it under wraps. So (laughs) congratulations again. We're glad to have you on the list. So uh, you've been in charge at SKDK for just under a year. Uh, It's one of those DC firms with a lot of legendary names attached to it. You know, Anita Dunn, for one, who's, who's been a part of a lot of Democratic presidential administrations. So when you got to the top job, what did you start to focus on and, and what were your top priorities? Yeah, you know, I took over the company in, um, in January of this year. We announced it uh, in August of last year. So uh, that gave me a lot of time to do thinking and to do planning and to meet with, uh, you know, both with my partner group who are just incredible, Mike Morey and Jill Zuckman and Carrie Lyon and Bill Knapp and uh, Orrin Shore. Um, and just, you know, it gave me and, and also uh, have conversations with the, the former CEO, Josh Isay. And, and and I also, you know, spent a lot of time just meeting with with staff as well. And, and, you know, it happened during the announcement happened during an election season. So I also had a whole bunch of clients and work that I was doing. But um, it really gave me time to think about the type of CEO that I wanted to be and what I wanted the firm to focus on. And and look, the firm, in you know, in, in my humble opinion, is is the best PR, public affairs firm, political strategy firm in the business. But you always can you can't sit on your hands, right? And you have to figure out ways to grow what you're doing. And and what I told the team is growing the firm uh, consistent with our values and doing things that would allow us to. Um, uh, you know, continue to doing the work that we love, doing more of that work, taking on bigger clients um, and being able to have more added capabilities under one roof so that we can be a one stop shop for just about anything a client would need in the communications, media, advertising industry. And that's really what I've been focusing on is how do how do we grow that? How do we grow that from a, a talent standpoint, bringing in really you know more and more talented people, growing that, uh, you know, from an acquisition standpoint you know, we um, we acquired uh, Jasper Advisors 
uh, several months ago, added uh, uh, Julie Jensen, who was, um, you know, very well-known um, communication strategist, uh, worked at the Commanders, worked at uh, a, um, both her and her partner, David Suffin, were at Brunswick Group and really provided a real avenue into some areas that, you know, we were looking to, to, to do more of and entertainment in the sports world, sports leagues, philanthropy. And so bringing on additional firepower. So that was a real big piece, right? The growth piece. And that's still um, and that is still something that I'm focused on. And then also reconnecting, I think, the firm. We've come out of a pandemic a time in which, you know, we acquired Sloan PR, one of the top financial services PR firms in the business. We acquired them. We closed that deal, I believe, in the spring of 2020, right? So that was right in the middle. That was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And a number of us, a lot of us, uh, hadn't even really met their team face to face. And so um, it was really important, in my opinion, uh, it was really important that we re that we connected the different parts of the SKDK universe. And that also meant our, our team up in New York and making sure that our team up in New York was was uh, getting, you know, new and 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 got to know very well our team in D.C. and our team in Albany. Um, and so we had our you know, we, we had our first all staff retreat uh, in April up in New York. It was great. We hadn't done one since 2019. Uh, we had one scheduled in 2020, two weeks before the pandemic happened. And so we obviously had to cancel that. And so that was a real important effort, I think, in terms of connecting our connecting our verticals, connecting people, connecting our talent. Uh, a real, I think, important part for me in terms of making sure that we're all rowing in the same direction and that they and that I was able to uh, communicate what the vision of the firm was, what the vi what my vision of SKDK was moving forward, and what I wanted us to, um, you know, what I wanted everyone to sort of uh, buy into. And uh, mm -hmm. a lot of what they were buying into were things that they had suggested and had talked to me about over those previous five, six months. So I, I, it was really important to me that folks felt like that, you know, they had a stake in the success of this firm because they do. And so, you know, I, you know, that was, that has been, you know, my focus and we're heading into an election year and we're going to have a big election year in terms of the, the work that we're going to be doing. But, uh, you know, the heart and soul of the firm and, and it, you know, is the talent, is this, is the strategists who work here. And, um, and, and, you know, I have, uh, I think we all have, um, you know, a, a real, um, you know, focus on continuing to do impactful work that matters. And that's why people come to SKDK and, um, and, and then being able to do more work, do bigger projects. We just, we are working with, for example, America 250, the, the organization that is commemorating the 250th anniversary or 250th birthday of this country in 2026. They just had a huge activation on July 4th. That was a huge deal. We're working with a number of other firms on it and it's those types of projects and we're doing other projects bigger projects, uh, more complicated, more um, dynamic projects than I think we've had in the past. And I think that's a testament to the team that we have and the type of, you know, what we're growing inside of the firm so that we can take on bigger projects that are that are exciting and that are, you know, still the, the work that we believe in and, and that, you know, we believe is, is, you know, makes us difference makers. I want to come back to the elections in a second, but uh, one thing that I think that's really interesting about your firm is that you do political consulting and you do PR and public affairs work, whereas a lot of shops do one or the other or some 
mixture of the two, but but generally not both. So, uh, what kind of advantage do you think that 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 gives your agency? I mean, do you think your your folks are a bit more locked in or a bit more current with the ideas and and getting you know strategies from the campaign trail, or do you think there are other advantages? I think there are a lot of advantages. You know, look, we're on the field every day. Um, you know, we're players in the game. We're not just spectators watching it and reading tip sheets. You know, we're advising a lot of these, um, you know, these these uh, candidates who are running for office or in, or in office. So I think we have a real um, grasp and understanding of what is top of mind to voters uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, for that matter, consumers. And so I think, you know, we all, you know, for the our political shop, we see a lot of data. We see a lot of research on what people care about and what are top of mind, what are their concerns. And I think that translates well to the non-political work that we do. And then there's a lot in the non-political space that I think we can bring to political campaigns that other political agencies can. I think the fact that we are the size that we are, that we have so many things under one roof, that's an advantage that I think um, other firms don't have. You know, there are other media firms out there, they're smaller and they typically can make ads and do strategy and I have a lot of respect for them. And I know a lot of the partners there, but, you know, for, you know, we, we can bring to these projects, you know, experiences in other industries and other fields that help solve a lot of the challenges that that uh, campaigns face. So they work off of each other in a very beautiful way. And, um, and I think it really does give us an advantage um, in, you know, in the marketplace. Uh, And, um, and, and I think it does really distinguish us from, you know, from uh, other firms out there. As I said, we are on the field, um, you know, in the middle of these games every single day when it comes to the work we do with our candidates. And we are making the news, not just reading it. And I think that that is a valuable thing that we can bring to um, our clients who are wondering what is going on in Washington and how to solve it and how to navigate a challenge that they have or a brand who is, um, you know, looking for guidance in terms of navigating a tough crisis moment or understanding how to communicate to particular audiences and what is that content that is working especially well and platforms that work especially well. And I think having, you know, it always, I think having those inputs coming in from the political world, the nonprofit world, the corporate world, I think it just makes us stronger. And I think it makes our team more dynamic. Doug, what would you say are the biggest advantages of coming out of a politics background? Maybe if you're a young staffer coming out of a politics background, a campaign background that you can bring to agency work that maybe you can bring to corporate work? I think first and foremost is dealing with pressure situations. And, um, you know, so many of our team have worked in Congress, have worked in the Senate, have worked uh, on campaigns, have worked in the White House, have worked in agencies. They've been in incredibly high pressure, high stakes situations. And I think that serves them well when they're working um, here and they're working on, you know, and 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 they're working for our clients. I think that they have seen a lot I think they, you know, I think they, um, especially for, you know, so many of us have had direct experience dealing with reporters and journalists and the media. And I think that is an advantage. Um, I think that um, just the, the, the ability to work in that team, in a team environment, a collaborative environment, 
which is, I think, so important for clients that when they bring on their consultants, they want people, I would hope they would want no drama, right? And they want teams who can seamlessly flow into their work. And I think for us as a firm, the fact that we have that political pedigree brings a sort of 24-7 campaign mindset to the work that we do to our, you know, to our non-political clients. And we can scale up very quickly. We know how to do that. That's sort of our, you know, where we've come from. We can manage uh, very, I think, complicated uh, situations in a way that I think other individuals who have not had that experience and training uh, takes a while to pick up. Um, and, you know, it's our, it's, it's part of our DNA. And I think that that is a, a, a real advantage for, for clients to have folks who have been in the highest stakes, right? Like the, the, some of the, you know, they, who have been in the situation room, who've been in the Oval Office, who've been in the speaker's office, who've been in the majority leader's office, who've worked for governors, who know, you know, who know just what's at stake and, and can, can handle that pressure, can multitask, can understand how to prioritize their time. And I think that's such an important part of what we do here. And I think that really is a, a real valuable skill and experience. And these experiences are things that we take, you know, I think from where we came from. Mm -hmm. um, the National Journal described you as one of the most plugged in people in Washington, which is high praise. Um, so what are the what are the big topics, issues that people in the corporate world should be watching in D.C. Uh, as we sort of inch towards GOP primary season? You know, I think there is a increased focus on ESG issues that uh, um, and, and DEI issues sort of kind of in some ways one and the same. But. I think that is something that we're seeing more and more of, particularly out of the Republican House who are trying to sort of, you know, undermine um, uh, those those policies and those those ideas. And I think, um, you know, we're, we're we're obviously seeing it play out across different brands in different places. Um, and I think that's going to be something that more and more brands are going to have to get more comfortable with. And, and I think, you know, being able to, you know, protect your reputation, you know, is, is first and foremost, I think, so important to, um, you know, to the, you know, to, to companies who are out there, even though they just may want to sell a soda or they want to sell a car mm. more and more, there's going to be more and more pressure and, to, for them to weigh in and, and have a position on something, or if they don't have a position, I'd be able to explain that to, you know, their stakeholders, their employees, um, as to why, you know, they're, they're stepping back. So I think being able to, you know, have a team around at, you know, if, if you are a, a fortune 50 company, being able to have a team, a diverse team around you, particularly outside, you know, I think the outside team that is really important because they aren't in the, you know, they, they are, you know, they are, they are not in the bubble as much as like the team, the sort the full-time employees are. And so I think having like a consultant team around the CMO, the CCO, the CEO, um, being able to help, um, see around corners and being able to anticipate some of these challenges that folks that they're going to face with Washington is going to be, um, is going to be important. I would also say that, you know, there'll be, I think, growing interest. We're already seeing it in artificial intelligence and, yeah. and, um, and, and how to, and, and with that, 
you know, comes a lot, right? Like, and, and, and it, I think we're just still trying to sort of unpack what that means, both in the government, politically, from a PR standpoint, but um, how it's regulated, things like that, I think. But I think it's going to become more and more of a, you know, of a, of, uh, of, of a topic of, of, of interest to Congress, um, you know, over the next couple of years. Um, and at some point, you know, look like, you know, with less than a year, I think we transitioned fully into a, into a political world. And I think oftentimes when you get into a campaign year, everyone sort of gets kind of the fever, right. And, um, and, and that fever means that for many companies, you know, they've got customers who can't switch off their political brain. Right. And, and. We don't, you don't necessarily want them to. And so they've got to think about in the context of a political campaign, a presidential year, how do they go about continuing to do their business? Um, because there's going to be a lot of pressure on them in a political year to, um, to take positions and say things and respond. And I think understanding when and how and, 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 and the mechanics around that are going to be incredibly important. So I saw that you you and your firm worked on hundreds of ads last uh, midterm election cycle in 2022 that had pretty favorable results for the, the Democrats. What were the messages that worked, uh, you know, from the campaigns that you worked on? You're, yeah, we did. Uh, I think we produced over 700 ads across digital television, radio, out of home, print. Uh, so it was a huge year. And um, we helped, uh, you know, we helped reelect uh, Mark Kelly in Arizona. We helped elect the uh, only black governor in the country, Wes Moore, Laura Kelly, the governor in Kansas, uh, Ned Lamont, the, the Connecticut governor, a, a number of house races. You know, one of the things that I think is um, it, it, that that I thought worked across all of these uh, campaigns was really getting into telling a, 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 a story, a clear story beginning, middle and end, having an arc, a narrative arc to your ad campaign, um, making sure that people understood the values of the, the candidate who was running and how it connected back to um, people's lives. And I think the best ads that we did were those stories that would that would both, um, you know, provide humanity, you know, sort of show the, you know, show the candidate as a human being who has gone through ups and downs and challenges and and connecting that to voters and their dreams, hopes and dreams. But then also, you know, um, weaving in important, um, and it, it, you know, important things that they're going to do in the future for for, you know, for the for their voters. So things related to, um, co- you know, uh, costs and uh, and crime and safety and protecting uh, a woman's right to choose. Um, you know, uh, those were some of the most uh, compelling, I think, ads that uh, both we produced and also were, I think, out there. I think, you know, the, the, the ability to, to, to pay less for prescription drugs was a pretty common theme in a, in a number of our ads. And so, uh, but it really came back to the story, who this person, who this person is and, you know, and 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 really sort of trying to make a beeline right to the heart of the voters that we're trying to reach and trying in authenticity. I mean, I think everyone will will say this, but it, it is so important for candidates and brands to be authentic. And I think the ad campaigns that run that are fake and inauthentic 
consumers see that and same thing goes with voters. And so be who you are, don't run away from that, double down on it, but make sure you're telling a story that is simple and clear for people to understand and that they understand what's in it for them. So Doug, you've been busy since you became CEO. So um, we've talked a little bit about the acquisition of Jasper Advisors. Uh, you launched a New England practice. What What's next for your firm? Well, you, I think, you know, we're looking at, um, we have a, a really uh, strong digital team in, in uh, SKDK, uh, but digital is becoming more and more of a um, digital media, digital content, digital media placement. Um, that it's just becoming an increasing need for, um, for, for our clients. And so I think, um, you know, that is going to be a place where we continue to build. Um, I'm really proud of the team that we have. Um, you know, we did, a, we did, um, uh, we did a number of really, um, uh, we did a, a number of award-winning digital campaigns last cycle, but building on that, um, we have an exceptional uh, executive communications team here led by Steve Krupen, who worked in the White House, who work with uh, CEOs and C-suite uh, um, leaders on their on speech writing, on their, um, you know, their media appearances, on um, their testimony before Congress, on their interviews. The best in the business, in my opinion, um, and you know, again, sort of growing that, right? You can only, you only want, you know, you can only have, you know, when you. I think when I think about these practice areas, there they are. This the sky really is the limit for them, and it's just how do you grow them in the right way, bringing on the right talent, so that you can continue to do exceptional work, but do more of that work. And then I think taking a look at, you know, are there opportunities overseas, you know, and are there opportunities in other markets in the United States? SKDK right now is really concentrated. Um, you know, our hub is in, in D.C. We have a um, our other, uh, you know, uh, we are uh, we have a um, we are in New York as well. We have a huge office there with with Sloan PR. Um, you know, we have an office in Albany. We we have. Um, uh, uh, an office, a small office in LA, but, you know, I think where are those regional opportunities for us to grow this firm? Um, and you can look at places like Chicago and San Francisco and Dallas, Fort Worth area. And I think, you know, thinking about that and thinking about the, you know, how, you know, the, the best places for us to be able to build our, you know, build our business, um, that, um, allows us to grow and grow the right way. And so I think those are going to be, you know, I think that's going to be um, another thing to look at. And, and then I think also, are there, you know, some acquisitions um, with, you know, with complementary uh, uh, companies who um, would be good fits for the SKDK family? Um, you know, that'll be on that remains on the table and will continue to be on the table. Um, you know, the, those are the things that I'm looking at. You know, I think we 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 are really high on, um, you know, building uh, our, um, you know, building our sports practice um, and, uh, and, and, and working with, uh, you know, both major, you know, major league teams, not just major league baseball, but major league teams and leagues. That's something that I'm focused on, really interested in the healthcare space. We just um, announced uh, a new head of our cyber and tech practice, uh, Liz Kenigsberg, and she's really building our practice area there um, uh, and, and, uh, and turning it into a, a big force. And I think there's a lot of opportunities there and, and, and doing even more work in the cyber and tech space. 
So I'm really excited about the, you know, the, 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 the next year, the next two years, because I, I, I think there are, you know, we're just starting to scratch the surface and um, it's so fun to be around a team where, you know, you have folks who are both like top level strategist creators, but also fantastic business developers and seeing them grow. Um, I started at this firm 12 years ago. I was a senior vice president. I, you know, I grew, I didn't get hired from an outsider to be a CEO. I grew up and grew up into that position. And I see so many people here taking that similar route and learning sort of the SKDK way of doing business and, and treating people the right way and treating clients with respect. And so I think about, I look at that and I'm so proud of the team that both uh, is joining the firm. You know, one of the interesting things that I, you know, we, we, we found out when we did our retreat is that since 2020, you know, over 100 people have joined the firm. It's a lot of people who joined during and after the pandemic. And, um, and, and so I, I go back to this idea of how do we, how do we make sure that they are connected fully into all of the different things that we can do, that they're, that they, you know, that they are um, able to, to, um, it, uh, you know, utilize all of the different skills, uh, all the different um, services that we have, the expertise that we have here. Um, and, you know, we have a fantastic partner in Bill Knapp, who is um, one of the, you know, leading, if not the pioneer in political advertising, who's the K and SKDK, who's been a wonderful counselor to me and, um, and supporter of me. And, you know, it's just a great mix of folks who've been here for a, a long time and then also folks who have joined recently. And I think it gives both a high energy feel and also having those veterans around who can help lift up that next generation. It's it's uh, it, it's it's just a, it, it's 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 lovely to see and it's lovely to watch. And, um, you know, I couldn't be more proud to lead this firm as we're going through this sort of 2.0 version of SKDK. So speaking of the next generation, um you're one of the few black CEOs of an agency. You're one of the few black CEOs of a, pol of a political or public affairs consultancy. What do you think has to be done to continue to improve diversity in the agency world in general? Um, you know, especially as the younger generation is coming up and moving up through the ranks. That is the million dollar question. Um, look, I think that, uh, I, I think that, it starts with giving people a shot, you know, and um, and uh, and and being intentional about the the team you build. I think we're very um, intentional here at SKDK about the team that we build here. We want it to be diverse. We want it to reflect the diversity of our client base of the country. Um, and so, when we go about our hiring, you know, we've been very intentional about um, the, the, the resumes we surface, the people we bring in to interview, and then also the people who interview them, right? And so I think being committed and being, and not just being paying lip service to it, but literally, you know, having a, a part of your DNA is really important. So, um, you know, and then I think, and, and, and I think once you have, you know, younger, if we're talking about younger people of color or younger women, at the firm, making sure that they are uh, exposed to other things that maybe they don't know so that they can continue to build their, their arsenal of things that they can do. When I came here, I didn't know how to make ads, you know, 12 years ago. 
I was really good at political communications and strategy and crisis communications. I didn't know how to make an ad. And I learned because I had someone like Bill Knapp show me, you know, and I took over our advertising department four years ago. And I think that I, I think the fact that I was able to run a department within the firm helped me um, be able to take over this company. And so giving people a shot and believing in them is really important, but also being intentional about your hiring practices and who you pursue, who are, you know, the relationships that, that you cultivate with, um, with different groups and with universities and making sure you're showing up to, at different places where you can get a more diverse um, uh, crop of, of resumes and also people that you, you pursue, right? Like mm -hmm. that you are going out and intentionally recruiting to come here. So I think it has to start at both, both levels, right? I don't think it's, I don't, I, I don't believe that there aren't people ready to be CEOs of these companies. I saw, you know, there were a number of people of color on that list that you, that the power list you all released yesterday that are, are ready to take over as CEOs. It would be great CEOs, but, you know, unfortunately within, you know, I believe under, I think there are only eight black CEOs of fortune 50 companies or fortune, maybe fortune 500 companies that's got to change. And so part of that is investing in the next generation, um, trusting and giving people a shot, um, and, and also making sure that your network and Rolodex allows you the ability to cast a wide net. And that starts by having, you know, senior level people who are, who look different from you and, um, and, and maybe have, and, 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 and so if you create that within your, your, your operation, diversity is going to be able to grow and blossom, but you really do have to be intentional about it. We have a great chief equity and inclusion officer and Ray Robinson, who is a close advisor to me and to the partner group. And she's been great in terms of figuring out different things that we can do both in terms of recruitment and retention and retention is a big piece of this. And how can you create opportunities for people to grow within SKDK? And I said before, learn skills that they don't have so that they can become managing directors from you know, a director position. And, 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 and I think that's really important. The retention piece is important, making sure that we're, we're competitive with our compensation um, and figuring out ways that we can provide different uh, professional development uh, opportunities within the firm so that you can learn as you're working. And I think you, I think those are all things that are really important to creating a, you know, a, a, um, you know, a, a firm that's representative of the, of the work that we do and the people we represent. Doug, I think it's a there, there's a consensus that the Supreme Court decision on affirmative action is going to make it more difficult for companies to diversify their workforces through a trickle down effect. Uh, you, what kind of advice are clients looking for uh, about how to respond to this decision if, if they're well intentioned and they they really do want to improve the diversity of their workforces? Well, I think that they've got to understand, and I think a lot of corporate America has bought into the idea that um, having a diverse uh, board, having a diverse C-suite, even though they aren't, you know, where we want them to be yet, uh, having a diverse workforce is good for business, right? I mean, I think that that is first and foremost, not only is it the right thing to do, but it is also good for business for these companies to have a team in place that reflects the customers that they're trying to um, retain and also pursue. And so, 
Um, I think that that really is one of the, I think, most important selling points that I would advise, um, you know, companies that, you know, you want to make sure that, look, you're not falling behind. This country is not becoming less diverse. It's becoming more diverse and it's becoming more dynamic. And that doesn't mean you forget about your, your, your customers that have been with you for, you know, a long time. No, but it does mean that you have to grow with, you have to grow and evolve with the way in which this country is evolving. And if you don't, you're going to be left behind. And I see that with my firm every day. Um, you know, that's why I'm so proud of where we're moving and believe we're close to 38% people of color and getting, you know, not the, not, not, um, which is better than the industry average, but not where I want it to be. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're committed to it and it, and we're committed to it because I believe one, it's the right thing, obviously Two, I think it just makes us better at what we do. And, um, clients benefit from having a team that can provide different perspectives and ideas and solutions, uh, to challenges that they face. And, um, so it's in their interest both to have a diverse uh, workforce and also have a diverse team advising them. Um, otherwise, they're going to be there's going to be they'll they'll be blind spots, right? And um, and I and I would say for major corporate, you know, for major brands, you know, they should be diverse in terms of the people that politically uh, diverse in terms of the teams that they have. You know, they probably should have they should have Republicans um, advising them. They should have Democrats advising them. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it helps them um, see around corners better. Um, and, and there is, you know, and I, and I, and I think that that is to me the most, you know, really the most important thing for, for brands to understand, for companies to understand, organizations to understand is that it is in their own interest to have a team that is reflective of, uh, and represents, um, you know, their customer base and their, and their, and their employees. And so, you know, they've, you know, now is not the time to, 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 to go backwards. You know, now is the time to push forward. It's the right thing to do. And I think a lot of, a lot of these companies, a lot of universities, the military sports teams, they all know it, you know, but mm -hmm. like you have a, you have some voices, you know, in the, in the Republican party who, um, want to take, you know, sort of want to move us backwards and, 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 and turn back the clock on a lot of the progress that's been made. I hate to make this partisan, but I mean, it's the truth. And so, um, and, and, uh, but I don't think that represents where, um, most of the country is. Um, and, uh, the, the point is, is everyone should have a seat at the table, right? And, um, that's going to make your company stronger. It's going to make your company more dynamic. And so I think that is really one of the messages I would tell. Um, and I do tell, um, executives at the clients, you know, at the companies we represent the organizations we represent. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Doug, thank you for that. Thank you for all of the insights. I'm going to turn the microphone over to Diana for a second and uh, talk a little bit about the biggest marketing and communications news of the week. I'm going to shout out a few stories from the website, but let's start with the power list. So it's, it's a really interesting list this year. I think you can see the emphasis on the financial sector, given the, the recent news cycles of the past few months and how often that has been, you know, driving world and national events uh, in, in the top people on the list. Um, I, I think, it, look, it's a great list every year, but I think that, you know, it's an especially fascinating list this year. And congratulations to Joe Evangelisti for, for topping the list. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to say also to you, Doug, congratulations. I, I know that Frank said this earlier, but 
just from me, congratulations on you being on the power list as well this year. Thank you, Diana. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. So yeah, basically the narrative behind every PR week powerless reflects the specific characteristics of the times in which we are living. So with that being said, as you said, Frank, it was important for this year's list to include and elevate comms leaders at high profile financial institutions, including um, number one on the list, Joe Evangelisti at JP Morgan Chase. Um, Ed Schuyler at Citigroup and Tony Fratto at Goldman Sachs. Um, So those companies have become kind of safe havens in the sector, um, a sector that's facing challenges as serious as any um, since the financial crisis of 2008. And AI, of course, has also been a major trend. And there is an expectation that it will play a fundamental role in revolutionizing what many PR professionals do. Um, So the list also includes Frank Shaw from Microsoft, Jonathan Adeshek from IBM, and Hannah Wong from OpenAI. Yeah, everybody has their eye on that, don't they? And and that's why we have um, the feature as part of the power list of whether or not AI is ready to be a member of the power list. So, and it's a really interesting feature by our own Brandon Dorr. So if you can check that out, that's, it's a great story and it's really informative um, also, in terms of stories, I want to shout out uh, one by our intern, MK Kalanick, about some of the top earned media-driven work at Cannes this year. Diana. So, yeah, MK Kalanick, she's our intern. Um, she dug into 13 of the most notable earned media creative activations that won in the Cannes PR and other lines categories and identifies ideas, strategy, and techniques others can aspire to emulate. So, um Really, really fantastic piece there. Um, great case studies. Um, so I highly recommend it. And you will definitely notice. Were you guys there? Uh, well, neither of us were there, but we were we were sort of observing from afar, Doug. It looked it looked uh, incredible. The you know Stagwell, the company that um, bought SKDK, had a huge activation there. Sport Beach. Yes. Uh, that uh, I've heard amazing things about. My friend Beth. Beth Lester helped put that together and just from afar and watching on LinkedIn, it looked incredible with all of the, you know, the athletes who were there. I agree with you. I, I definitely saw Sport Beach mentioned as much as absolutely anything it can. So uh, so it's, it seems to go off pretty well. Um, but no, I was not there in person. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, not necessarily like the PR versus creative agencies, who's winning and who's doing well. But it is interesting to see the ideas, even if you're not there and and who is being rewarded. And so it's fascinating every year in terms of the next topic. So, uh, Diana, you're on threads. I admittedly I'm not yet. But what's what's your experience been like? And and tell us a little bit about where threads is at right now. Sure. So um, threads, as many of you may well know, uh, it launched last Wednesday evening And Meta's Instagram unveiled it. And by the next morning, it already had 30 million signups. As of now, I believe it has about 100 million signups. So it has dethroned ChatGPT as the fastest growing online platform to hit that milestone. I personally, I feel like it's basically Twitter even just seeing how brands are using it. It's it's very similar, you know, like... uh, the social media managers, you can tell they're like carefully strategizing how they want to yeah. use the Twitter rival as part of their comes and marketing plans. Some have, have kind of dived right in 
with multiple posts, some of them are being like very, like even more conversational on it, maybe because they feel like. Are they still being snarky? They're definitely being snarky. Yeah. Um, Wendy's, for example, they're known for their their sass on Twitter. Yeah, you'd be disappointed if they didn't. <laughs> yeah, they they have they've brought that right on over. And one of their initial threads, they said they were calling the posts threats <laughs> and to get on board or get out of the way. There's enough. There's enough threats on Twitter, frankly. So yeah, yeah. and 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 <laughs> yeah. threads is trying to be a nice. Place yeah, unlike Twitter. So. Yeah, and and look, we're gonna see how brands embrace this over the next few weeks and months, yeah. and and but um, it still has, you know, it has it's, it's, it's lacking uh, some critical features. Yeah. Um, you know, like the it doesn't have DMs. The thread feed pulls in posts from all users, not just ones you follow. You can't search for certain things. Yeah. Um, but and like even advertising, I believe that is still. You, you still can't really advertise on right, it yet. Right, so right. it'll be interesting to see once that actually, I mean, w- yeah, once they implement all that, will this be a Twitter killer? Or it's, it, it's interesting too, in that our, our reporter, Ewan Larkin did an excellent piece on it about how it is lacking uh, as of right now, a lot of the data that, that Twitter and other social networks have provided to brands and the, you know, they, they have a tough time getting that 360 degree view that they need and anticipating negative chatter about their brand or about events or whatever the case is that they could on other social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Doug, I'm sure your your clients and, and the folks at your agency are, are curious about threads and trying it out. What's What's been their experience so far? Yeah, you know, I downloaded the app a few days ago. I'm on it. I have not threaded yet. I don't know if that's what we're calling the <laughs> action yet, but I am going to call it threading. Um, but, um, you know, I think people are taking a little bit of a wait and see approach in terms of how much they are going to really kind of dig, you know, really kind of use this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I know from my perspective, um, I, I have, you know, I, I, I still have a Twitter account. I used to be very active in Twitter when I was, um, you know, doing more politically oriented stuff. I, I, I use Twitter now a lot for just breaking news. I typically use my LinkedIn account though, a lot more for, you know, again, sort of like checking out what's going on in, in, in the industry and, and putting out more and putting out more on um, SKDK. Um, so I think it's also how do you prioritize? I think Diana talked about this. How do you yeah. prioritize all of these different social platforms? Because you only have so much time in a day, right? And so, and what's the best ways best best way to use Twitter versus Threads? Um, and and I think people are still trying to get a trying to figure that out. And I and I and, and yes, there are things that you know, threads does not have that Twitter has, but in some ways I, I actually think that might be a smart thing because they're trying, I think they're, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll hear from folks like what would be a nice thing to have and what wouldn't be a nice thing to have. And maybe people don't want DMS on there. Right. And so maybe they do, we'll see, but I feel like I, you know, this sort of like incremental approach that I think they're taking in terms of building the app and figuring out the functionality and the right things to have makes sense. And, and I think people are sort of tipping their, you know, dipping their uh, toe in the water to see how they, you know, they can use it, how they want to use it. And, and I think um, it's still obviously in its very early stages, but I, I think that it's, it, it sort of remains to be seen how, 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 how much brands, how much teams, individuals really you know, dive into threads versus Twitter and do they abandon Twitter and just go to threads or do they figure out a, a balance between using Twitter for certain things versus 
versus threads and versus Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and, and LinkedIn, you know, it's like, by the time you, by the time you figure out how to, you know, by the time you, you use all of these different platforms, it takes a lot of time. So I think it's it really optimization of, of how you use these platforms in a way that is beneficial to you. And for influencers, you know, I think obviously Instagram is a great place for them to be. And TikTok's a place that people will go for influencing. But, you know, if you're, you know, if you're me and you're an old guy and you're CEO, you're spending a lot of time on LinkedIn too, right? So no. remains to be seen, but I, I like it. It's functionally like pretty simple to use, um, but I haven't really dug in yet in terms of using it. And, and I'm, I'm still trying to see where my, where it sort of lives in the arsenal of platforms that I have. I, I couldn't agree more about the time. I mean, sometimes I see my screen time report and I'm just like, yikes, how did I do that over the past week? Okay, so another big people move, uh, a new global comms head at Royal Caribbean. Yeah, so they have hired Heather Hust Rivera as SVP and Global Chief Communications Officer. She started on Monday reporting to Dana Ritzkoven, EVP and Chief People and Outreach Officer. And she will oversee Royal Caribbean Group's corporate reputation, overseeing global corporate communications, incident and crisis management, and executive and internal communications. Um, and she joined from Disney. She was most recently SVP of communications for Disney's media and entertainment distribution. And the last person to lead communications globally at Royal Caribbean Group was Rosanna Fisk. Mm-hmm. Um, and she left the company at the end of last year. She had only worked there since 2021. And she said at the time that she was uh, taking a break to reflect, evaluate, rest, and renew. So yeah, we, will, though we should we say those are see. those were stressful years for the cruise industry. Yes, sure. for sure. Yeah. Okay. A bunch of former executives at Joel Frank and a former Bloomberg reporter have launched a new agency. They sure have. The agency is called uh, Collected Strategies. It's an independent advisory firm, um, and the founding partners include Scott. Bisang, a former partner at Joel Frank, Jude Gorman, who formerly served as Joel Frank's COO, Jim Golden, Dan Moore, and Nick Lamplow. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they're all they all served as partners at Joel Frank. Um, and the Bloomberg reporter that's working there is Ed Hammond. Um, so the agency is based in New York and it plans to support companies throughout their life cycles from launch to initial public offering as well as challenges encountered thereafter, such as corporate crises, merger and acquisition, litigation, restructurings, and bankruptcies. Yeah, we're interested to see what, what they work on and, and how they do, because this this corporate uh, corporate affairs space is just so big right now. Yes. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how this, uh, how this new firm does. So yep. good luck to them. And surprise, I don't think a lot of people saw this story coming. No. New <laughs> U.S. CEO at Hill & Knowlton Strategies is Craig Buchholz, uh, formerly is. of GM and, and a few other top companies. So uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, he he has been announced as their their U.S. CEO effective Wednesday. He is based in New York and will report to Global Chairman and CEO Anna Maria De Salva and join HNK's Global Leadership Council. Um, and he replaces Richard Millar, who has led the WPP agency's U.S. market since 2019. Millar will continue in his role as HNK's Global President, relocating to the U.K. Yep. Buckholtz most recently served as SVP of Global Communications at General Motors, and he stepped down in May after a three-year tenure 
and Google's Lin Hua Wu is set to assume the automaker's top communications role in mid-August. Really interesting trend happening with some top-notch CCOs, him, Corey Dubrawa from uh, from Google and Alphabet moving to the agency world. Yeah. So we will keep an that's eye and see how that develops. So, uh, well, look, that's about all the time we have for this episode of the PR Week. Diana, thank you for the news roundup. And Doug, thank you, thank you very much for joining the podcast this week. Frank and Diana, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it and look forward to coming back whenever you'll have me. Absolutely. So we will see you all again this time next week on the next episode of the PR Week. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.